Welcome to the Flying Baton, the magical land of beginning band. Coming to you from the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, your host, Charlie Nesmith. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Flying Baton. This week, we have a really interesting episode about what it's like to have band kids in our building, in our room, for the first time in 10 months. It's been a really, really exciting time, and we have a bonus student teacher that was sprung on us very last minute, so we get the perspectives of someone who's student teaching in the realm of COVID-19 and all that other craziness. Before we start, we have a couple announcements. Number one is the Flying Baton has released a set of fundamental exercises called Warm-Ups with a Beat, and there are parts for every single instrument in an easy-to-read, no-nonsense format. We've included some challenging snare and mallet parts for every single exercise and a variety of horn ranges and transpositions to kind of fit whatever your French horn pedagogy is. There are free play-along files on the YouTube page that have really upbeat backing tracks with hip-hop and rock and roll and EDM beats. And that's really just to help the kids who are learning at home right now and have them have a little bit of a frame of reference to listen to for what their sound is supposed to be like. Best of all, you get unlimited photocopy rights for your school. So you can photocopy as many as you need. You can send PDFs to students. All of that, unlimited amounts for your school. You can buy your copy at theflyingbaton.com. Announcement number two. Traditionally, at the end of our episodes, we have a beginning band pick of the week where we kind of go through a piece of music that you might want to play with your program and analyze it a little bit and give you some sound examples. I've decided to move that to the beginning of the episode instead of the end. So you'll hear that first before we begin our discussion of in-person learning. So without further ado... This week's pick is Drive by Mark Williams, published by Alfred. We picked this as a fun piece to get our kids back into gear after not being together for 10 months. We wanted something fun and fast-paced. I like to think of this piece as like a baby blue shades. There's lots of blue scales and some chromatic movement, and it kind of like morphed into the concert band setting. It has some approachable syncopation with dotted quarters on the upbeat and lots of eighth rest patterns, and everyone in the band has that syncopation, not just the upper winds. There's some really intense percussion breaks with some cool timpani and snare parts. There's even syncopation in the bass and crash cymbal as well. This piece is great for showing the kids how to pass the melody between sections. There are two sax parts, two clarinet parts, and two trumpet parts. Trumpet one goes up to E in the staff. Clarinet one spends a good amount of time over the break and rapidly switching over the break. Clarinet two does not. This is a fun and adrenaline-filled piece, and it's good to end a concert with. To find links to buy this piece or listen to it in its entirety, check out the show notes or visit theflyingbaton.com. This has been... All right, everybody, welcome back to The Flying Baton. I'm here with my co-teacher, John Wilson. Hey, everybody. And we have a student teacher this semester, Mr. Tim Simone. Hello. Awesome. So, Tim, give us a little bit about your background. Yeah, I am a senior music education student at James Madison University. In the beginning of my student teaching semester with Mr. John Wilson at Shelburne Middle School. I am a saxophone player, and at JMU, I was involved in all the saxophone stuff, so the quartets and the concert bands and the marching band. I'm very excited to get involved with 6th, 7th, and 8th grade band. Awesome. So you're officially a John student teacher. Could either one of you tell us the kind of crazy story about how Tim came to be with us very, very last minute? <laughs> I can only do it from, you know, from my vantage point, but the Tim supervisor, who's a good friend of mine, sent me a text like, uh, the Friday before we switched to uh, hybrid learning, you know, he said, hey, I've got somebody who uh, might need to switch placements. Are you able to have anybody with you? Like, are you guys 
in person, can you have a student teacher? Would you be willing to? And I said, yeah, for sure. That, that would be really fun. I think we're doing a lot of great things. I would love to have somebody, you know, be a part of our program right now because I think we're getting to do things that a lot of other places probably aren't. And he said, great. And then I followed up with him the next Monday. I was like, well, how's that looking? He said, probably not going to happen. So I said, cool. And then at noon on Tuesday, I got an email from like our head of human resources or like from the head of JMU student teacher to our head of human resources. I was like, great. He'll be there tomorrow. I said, okay. <laughs> and I asked him too. I was like, can I get some contact info for this guy so I can like start sending him things? And like, well, no, we'll send you a formal email in a little bit. It's like, great. <laughs> so, and then I taught some classes and by the end of that, Tim, you'd already reached out to me, which is great. But, and fortunately, Tim's been like jumping right in there and, and doing awesome. So like, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of heads up, but you know, we're hitting the ground running, I think, um, doing good things. That's how it was from my perspective. I don't know how it was from Tim's. I got my initial placement in October, which was fantastic because you want to know where you're going and what you're doing. But I think we all thought things would be a little different in January, and then it wasn't. And my last placement was great, except that it was entirely asynchronous, which brought up some some issues of whether that'll affect my licensure, whether I'll actually get to see any students. So we kind of had to to look at some other options so I could be with students in person or hybrid just because a student teaching semester without students would probably not be ideal for, you know, for my development as a teacher. So was sad to scramble, but very happy that it turned out the way it did. Yes, we are all hoping that virtual band teaching is something that's not going to exist after this school year, possibly. Fingers crossed. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of valuable skills to be learned from schools who are completely virtual right now. But getting that in-person instruction is is so clutch, especially the classroom management aspect of it, because like classroom management on Zoom is the easiest thing in the world. It's like there's there is no classroom management issues. I think the worst thing that happened to me was like someone's dad walked or like in front of the camera with a shirt off and I like turned off the kid's video. I mean, like that, that was about the worst thing that we had to deal with from a classroom management perspective. Yeah. John, did you have anything weird happen from classroom management for you? Yeah. Just like a lot of like kids being like, Oh, here's my pet. Oh, here's my pet. And that's not really weird. <laughs> I guess there is like the whole, it's, it, I don't know. This is not normally be like classroom management, but it really is hard to keep kids engaged. And it's, I know hard for them to stay engaged too, you know, I took some virtual classes this summer. My teachers were awesome. But if I was doing virtual classes all day, every day, and I was 11, that would be tough. So, Tim, what is it that you would like to do after you graduate? What's your, like, end goal? Well, the dream is to be a music teacher, preferably middle school band director. Really unsure what the job application process is going to look like. Nobody has had to do it in a pandemic before. So my entire music education class is looking at, at this in a lot of different ways. But yeah, teaching teaching bands specifically and then getting into a program, hopefully at the heels or the tail end of a pandemic, but potentially right in the middle of it again. What is that going to be like starting a program and starting a culture? Yeah, because I mean, who knows? We're all, we're all hoping we're going to be in a semi quote normal environment come uh, August, but you never know. I mean, we might we might still be right here. Who knows? Especially different parts of the country might be in different places too. So now that you do get to be with some teachers who are in person, are there any particular things that you would like to get out of this student teaching experience? Like you said earlier, classroom management is the big piece that I was hoping to get from a student teaching placement. Zoom is great, except for learning how to do that. And I think you could go an entire virtual placement without having to work on routines or classroom etiquette or, you know, discipline. So that's what I'm hoping to get out of the in-person experience. It's something that we've been working on in this first week is something as simple as bringing students into the room and telling them where to get their instruments and how to set them up and the expectations as far as getting into a warm-up or anything past that kind of takes some practice. So that is what I've been hoping to, to get from this, um, especially having not worked with this age group, getting acquainted with their with their maturity and with their personality and <laughs> seeing what that actually looks like, because we talk about it all the time in the classroom, but it's been a long time since I was in middle school. So getting reacquainted with that. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. Cause I'm thinking back to the last time Charlie and I talked after our first week of fully virtual, like we are, we are really 
routine oriented. And so like our first week of virtual classes was more or less this, like for that format, like it was, can you find your Google classroom? Can you find your zoom link in this format? Can you have these things when you log in at this time, you know, and this week you've been seeing us do a lot of, you know, how do you enter our physical room? How do you set up your things when you're physically next to these people? And then, of course, all the, the in-person COVID precautions, that's not usual. But even when we were fully virtual, we spent a good bit of time just on routines first. And then when that's down, launching into the music side of things. Yeah. Let's do a little uh, reflecting on, on last semester. So for those of you who uh, didn't listen to episode 15, we did an episode one week after all virtual learning and kind of outlined our plans for the whole semester. So you can go back and listen to that if you want. But yeah, I just want to kind of decompress a little bit and see what our thoughts are on the all virtual aspect since we were all virtual first semester. And now this semester we have some kids who are all virtual and some kids who are hybrid. And Tim, if you have anything you want to throw in from your other placement or from practicums that you had experience with virtually, you just go right ahead. So just to, to briefly outline how we handle things, our kids were coming to virtual class roughly twice a week. And our biggest challenge that we had to think through were the sixth graders because our kids start band in sixth grade. And we're like, okay, how on earth are we going to, you know, teach someone to play an instrument, you know, for the first time brand new. So what we decided to do was do individual lessons in person. So the kids would come to our school and we put out some chairs in front of the school building. So it was outside and the student and their parent came and we gave them one 30 minute lesson in person. We showed them all the parts of the instrument, how to form an embouchure, how to make a good quality sound, and maybe even some basic fingerings. And Every week thereafter, they would have a 15-minute lesson over Zoom. So they got one in person, and then the entire rest of the semester was one Zoom class or one Zoom lesson a week, and then two Zoom classes with all the kids in their section. So we did that for the entire first semester, and yeah, and that was that was more or less the game plan. So John, give us your thoughts on those initial sixth grade lessons and our takeaways from from doing that in-person lesson with a parent there. Dude, that I know, I think we might have talked about this, but that was awesome. And I want to keep some semblance of that going every year now because we more or less were able to successfully teach the first, like the mechanical parts of playing from like, for me, it was, I, I covered material from the first three or first four weeks, depending on how fast the kids went. So I had a lot of kids walking out of there being able to like play and not read, but being able to play like their first five notes, which was awesome. And their parent was there taking pictures and their parents were able to help them at home. I knew all the parents' names and faces, which that usually takes me a while. And there's still kids in eighth grade whose parents I've never met, but I got to meet all of the sixth grade parents before the school years or right as the school year started. And that was really cool too. So I don't know if I would do it in the same format, necessarily one-on-one, but definitely small groups after school with a parent. I want to do that like always now. That was fantastic. So yeah, I, I 100% agree. It is it is amazing how much we covered when it was just one-on-one versus, you know, like my, my sixth grade classes are typically very big, especially clarinet and saxophone. I typically have somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 to 30 kids in my clarinet sex class. And doing it one-on-one, like we just go ungodly faster than doing it in the classroom environment. And, you know, and the kids went like wildly different speeds too. Like I had some kids that like, we just kind of got the instrument together and blew like an open G on the clarinet. And that's about as far as they got in 30 minutes, but they were able to make a good sound. And I had some kids who walked away playing hot cross buns with proper tonguing after 30 minutes and with a decent sound. I'm like, wow, like it's, it's just kind of amazing how, you know, different students learn at different paces or pick up on certain things faster than other students. We generally don't see a lot of that in the beginning of the year because all the kids are doing the exact same thing as each other at the exact same time. So for the first several weeks, everyone kind of progresses very similarly but one-on-one, I mean, kids were just taken off, you know, and, and it, was, it was very fun to see. And I loved having the parent there. It, and it was, it was really crazy to see parents, like, taking videos and, and, and some of the parents, like, literally taking notes. And they could reinforce some of that stuff at home. And that was great for me because I could say, hey, this is what the clarinet mouthpiece sounds like when you play it correctly. This is what it sounds like when it's played incorrectly. And, hey, parent, this is what you want to be listening for. And here's how you can help coach the student if they're getting the bad sound, how to turn it into the good sound. And I could give them some tips and tricks to do at home. And that was really great. And I think it was also great for the parents to, to hear, okay, that's what it's supposed to sound like. 
Because, you know, blowing on a clarinet barrel and mouthpiece is not the most natural sound in the world. But to be like, hey, it's okay if it sounds like X, but it's not okay if it sounds like Y. And yeah, and it's just really great having the parents there. And also, and we talked about this a little bit on the last episode, but seeing the different ways in which parents interact with their kid was so fascinating. It was very revealing. But yeah, but totally do that again in the future or have small groups of like five or, or so. Yeah, it was just really beneficial. So let's talk a little bit about sixth grade versus seventh and eighth grade in the all virtual setting. There were probably like the, the hugest divide between how the beginners handled doing band virtually and how the kids who had, had had been in person and now suddenly were virtual, how they handled things. Yeah, I'm sure this is something that everybody listening has experienced and and can relate to. But for the kids who, for us with beginners, they were just learning band. Like this was their only experience was playing their instrument at home, seeing their classmates through a Chromebook. That was it. And we you know, gave them a, a fun experience, I think. And we have had excellent retention in sixth grade. Just about every single student who started is still is still with us. Our seventh and eighth graders, on the other hand, have had a fair bit of experience with normal band, with what it's like to play in a room with 30 to 70 other people. And they came back to band this year because they like that experience. And so we have definitely had a lot of kids who, and and they, not everyone who is, is quit band fits in this category, either, but we've had a lot of kids who have just like, you know, have, have been able to vocalize like, you know, virtual band isn't for me. I really liked band when we were in person, but this isn't something that, that I can keep doing right now. And there's also there's kids that just can't play their instrument at home or they don't have a place to play or they're always at school in at the YMCA and they really don't want to practice their instrument in a room with 12 other people trying to do their own virtual classes. Any any number of reasons. So it's not all that, but we have definitely lost a, a lot of students in seventh and eighth grade. And we you know knew and probably talked about last time we met that this would likely be a problem, but it, yeah, it's been a challenge and it's been hard not to get down on ourselves about it. You know, we've been trying to provide musically fulfilling opportunities. I think that's the thing that I keep that I've said like the whole time is like, that's kind of my touchstone for what we've been doing. We're fully virtual is giving kids opportunities to, to still be musical, even if it's not necessarily playing their clarinet, but um, doing something in band lab, making something cool in Chrome music lab, you know, doing something musical, so, and for, I will say still for most of our kids, that's worked really well, but they have this conception of what normal band is like and virtual band, even with all the cool things we've been able to do is not the same. Yeah. I'd say the, the biggest moment in which we lost the most kids, we hit about halfway through the semester and our administration came out with some facts and figures and they said, Hey, like over half of our students are failing at least one subject and several kids are failing multiple subjects. So they called every family in the division and emailed every family in the division and said, hey, if your kids are having a hard time keeping up their core classes, they can just drop their elective classes and that's fine. Which I understand why they made that decision, but there was a lot of kids who were struggling academically and they're like, yeah, I could use more time. And then we lost a bunch of kids from that. So I wasn't thrilled with that plan, but maybe for some of the kids it was beneficial so that was a little bit of, of a bummer. And the other thing that three of us were talking about, I think yesterday actually, was in Jeff Scott's comments in Habits of a Successful Middle School Band Director, in which he, he says, you know, like 20% of your band is typically your band all-stars, your all-district kids, you know, the kids that, you know, really love music. And 20% of your band is the kids who aren't super stellar. I think he words it, they need band more than the band probably needs them, but they love being there. And it's one of the only good things they have going on in their life. And then like 60% of your band is kids who are there for like social reasons. And they're the social crowd, you know, and that's definitely, that is the group for the most part that we have lost students from because they love playing music with their friends in person. They do not want to play at home at all, but who love playing in the group, you know, and, and virtual band has been pretty hard for those students. And we've definitely lost some of those for sure. I will say though, you know, talking with other band directors in the in the division, I think our recruitment efforts last year really paid a lot of dividends for us because we typically have in the neighborhood of 70 to 90 sixth graders on a normal year. And we weren't allowed to do any of our recruitment stuff that we normally do due to the shutdown last spring. 
So we did a lot of virtual recruitment. We have a whole episode about this, but we did a lot of virtual recruitment. We did a lot of like, we called every family in the division who had a fifth grader who's coming to middle school. We found ways to just try to try to make it work and show kids that band was going to be a cool thing. And we ended up with like 65 or so kids. Like it's, it wasn't really that much lower than it normally was. And that's really great. We put in a lot of effort to try to get sixth graders in the program. And it seemed like it was pretty successful. And it looks like we're, we're going to have to do the same thing again, you know, in, in about a month or two here. I remember the thing that I forgot earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Which was that we talked about this the last time we were together. And I'm going to talk about it again that or just mentioned again. I'm ecstatic to be in a school that has been really supportive of letting us do what we think is best for music and not asking us to take on a bunch of other things that so we've been able to do our classes the way that we've been doing all last semester and transitioning into this hybrid model that we're in now by bringing them ideas of of how we think we can serve our students best as band directors and them trusting us to do that and so we're really privileged to have that and recognize who there's a lot of folks who have been uh, not in that boat that have been asked to do a lot of things that are not teaching music and not even teaching their music students. We have the privilege of being really musically supported and, you know, trying not to take that for granted. Yeah, our administration has really treated, you know, the arts pretty much like all the other teachers, and that has not been the case everywhere. I think we mentioned this in episode 15 a little bit, but there are some states that wouldn't allow indoor band to happen at all, only outdoor playing, which is kind of crazy now that it's January. And there's a lot of schools that have had their elective teachers essentially babysit groups of kids sitting on a computer watching a Zoom of some other teacher teach something in another room. And we were very fortunate that we didn't have to, to deal with any of that. And, you know, something else I feel like uh, that I definitely needs to be said is I think there's a fair amount of band director guilt. At least I get this on the band director Facebook pages. When a band director sees like a school do like a really great virtual performance or like just something really crazy and innovative that they're doing in the classroom or something that took clearly tens of hours, hundreds of hours outside of school to accomplish. And I think a lot of band directors like feel guilty about that. And they're like, oh, well, you know, like I'm not doing that. Are people looking down on me? And I think my response to that is like, we're in a freaking pandemic, you know, like it's, it's cool. You know, if you don't have to do all the things that we're doing, and we have two band directors, which is half the reason why we can do all the things that we do. But like, there's a lot of band directors who've lost friends and family to this pandemic. There's like families that have had one or, or two people out of work because of all the shutdowns and are under like extreme financial stress at the moment. There's just all kinds of crazy stuff going on. So I just, I just want to say as much as, you know, John and I do a lot of crazy things in our program, and I just want to validate that you do not need to feel guilty about that. Or, or feel in any way that people are like judging you for not putting that in, in the middle of a pandemic, you know? So I just feel, just feel like that needs to be said. All right. So we talked a little bit about sixth and seventh graders in the virtual setting. Let's see. Let's go ahead and talk about what really worked well that we will probably take as a, a permanent change in how we do something or just something that works so well that we would carry it into regular instruction later. We talked about the sixth grade in-person lessons. I definitely say Flipgrid has been great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we've been doing all of our tests in Flipgrid. So like they can redo it several times in Flipgrid until they get something that they like. They can have the uh, flexibility to record literally like anytime they want to. Yeah. And it's organized uh, really well. But I, I think the other thing, too, is the sound quality is so good. Like whatever algorithms they have to adjust the mic volume works really well with our kids' Chromebooks. And I cannot say the same about smart music. Smart music, unfortunately, before you record, it has this little like boop sound. So you're supposed to like turn up your speakers and then it's like whoop. And that's supposed to calibrate the microphone. But it doesn't do a really great job of it. And the vast majority of recordings that students recorded were so completely distorted or clipped. Like I could barely tell what they were playing. Uh, and maybe if they had like a higher quality mic than a Chromebook mic, it would have been okay. But I really wish smart music would include some kind of like manual gain adjustment for kids to to set their own mic level. That would have fixed so many problems that we have with smart music. Yeah, I'm going to echo that. I was a little bit, sorry, smart music. I was a little bit disappointed. We, we bought subscriptions for everybody, which you've never done before. And it definitely wasn't as helpful, at least for our style of teaching. 
So I got to throw that out there. I know shaming folks who are using it and loving it. Flipgrid was like perfect for us. Now, that hasn't solved the issue of students who just don't want to record and are happy taking a zero. That's been a little bit different, but for the kids that are recording, it's been awesome. I think for us and them, I'm, I'm, and it's free. Oh my gosh. Thank yeah. you, Flipgrid. Yeah, that's been total, total game changer. All right, what are some things that either one of you have found to be pretty difficult about teaching band in the online setting? Either personally or specific issues that that the kids had doing band through a computer. I think when I was teaching lessons this spring and this summer, it's a little harder to nail down what an issue might be that you'd find instantly in a face-to-face setting. So in a saxophone lesson where something doesn't sound quite right and you can't see any of their fingers, they it's so hard to get a student to put the camera somewhere you can see you know, everything going on on the horn. And I personally just found that really hard to kind of narrow it down. And I spent a lot of time having to explain to them what to do to help me understand the problem. Whereas in in person, I could just say, you know, hand me your horn. Let me look at this. We're talking about G sharps the other day, the G sharp sticking on video. You're not going to see it through Skype or through FaceTime, but when you're there in person, you get it instantly. So just losing those minutes doing that. And then of course, kids just not showing up because they have to log on to their computer. And for whatever reason, it's harder for them to do that than to be present at the right time at the right place, at least in my experience. So I I think that kind of created some problems. But again, a lot of upsides to to that as well. I didn't realize I could teach lessons online and, you know, really at all until I had to. And then it opened some doors. So I don't know, both sides of the coin. I've had more kids try to memorize their music instead of read it. Because when you're playing trombone and you have digital music and your Chromebook can only sit on your desk, so many kids just, they, so this week we learned how to use a music stand and I'm so excited for them to be able to like sit up with good posture and see their music and play their instrument at the same time. Like they haven't been able to do all three of those things at the same time for a while. Most of them haven't. Yeah. I think for me, from a, a more mechanical standpoint, I thought being a percussionist and percussion being such a visual instrument, I thought teaching percussion online was going to be the easiest out of all of the instruments. And for me, percussion was actually the hardest to teach for several reasons, you know, and I think the biggest thing is like, I didn't realize how much I rely on touch to fix problems. For example, if a kid is holding the drumstick and they start like moving into this thumb up position which is called French grip, or if you play drum set, it's typically how you would play the ride cymbal. Typically, if a kid is starting to turn over that direction, I will like grab their hands and just flip them about to the right angle and be like, okay, it's here. And I couldn't do that this year, you know? And I'm trying to like stick my hand up in the camera and be like, your hand looks like this. I need you to turn it to look like this. And some kids, that just did not compute, like not compute at all. Or trying to like find the right adjustment for the practice pad. Some of the kids got that and some of the kids just had a really difficult time. And like every time one of my students love him to death, but every single time he set up his practice pad, it was like above his stomach. And I'm like, no, man, like it's, it's gotta be at your belt, <laughs> like belt height. And he'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. And then he changed it. You know, like certain things were like their stroke too, or like with their finger tension, I could tell in person how much tension their fingers were using, or I could go through and like show them like, this is how much you want to squeeze the stick. This is how much it should wiggle in your hand just like all kinds of tools that I use that are very physical on a normal year. I couldn't do any of that. And I tried my best to explain it verbally, you know, and through a camera. But for some of the kids learning through, through the video format in particular, it was very difficult to grasp some concepts. So that was, that was tricky and unexpectedly tricky. But I think the biggest thing for me is most of the reason why I teach middle school band is because I really like middle school kids. They crack me up. They bring me a lot of joy in my day. And uh, I really like the relationships that we're able to build with the kids. And I'm, I'm a huge believer in that. And that's the 90% of the reason why I'm, I'm at middle school is, is because of that specifically. And there definitely were not as many opportunities to build relationships with them. Because normally we would do that before school. They could hang out in the band room or during lunch. You know, kids could come eat lunch in the band room or we could go eat lunch in the cafeteria. Or after school, we could hang out with the kids before like after school ensembles or like going to basketball games, going to dances, like all these opportunities we have to like talk to kids one-on-one, get to know them a little bit better. Most of that was cut out this year. 
Now, we tried to counteract that by playing some games in the classroom. We had several Fridays that we played, you know, like a trivia game or like, you know, some other kind of fun thing to, to loosen things up a little bit. But it definitely was like nowhere close to the amount that we would get to know them in a normal year. And I think what's extra hard about that for me is like I know that a lot of these kids are in some really hard circumstances at home. And normally I'd be able to like tell in person that something was bothering them, even if, you know, they didn't feel comfortable sharing, I could tell like something was up. But on Zoom, most of those kids just had their video off the whole time. So like, I, you know, they could be dealing with all kinds of things, uh, you know, depression or, you know, a crappy home situation. And like, we had no idea because their video is always off. And if they don't talk at all in, in, the, in the Zoom, we could just have no idea what's going on with that kid where normally in person, you'd at least get some clues normally. So that was definitely tough. There's a lot of reasons why I'm excited that we're back in person this semester, but that's that's probably the biggest piece for me. So we can go ahead and pivot to this semester. So just as a quick background, this semester we did two weeks of fully virtual. And then this past week, we had our very first week of in-person instruction. About, I'd say in band, it's probably 50-50 in-person virtual. School-wide, it's probably 60-40 in-person virtual but a lot more of the band kids are more likely to, to be all virtual for whatever reason. So how we've chosen to tackle that is we are essentially live streaming our class. So we are live streaming to all the kids who are fully virtual at home. Uh, so they can still be like, quote, a part of what everybody else is doing. And we can keep everybody on the same page. So the kids are still getting banned twice a week like they were last semester. But half of them are in person and the other half are watching the live stream. And we just kind of set the laptops up at our side so the kids can just see the conductor the whole time. But they're still doing all of the things that the in-person students would be doing. Yeah, we and say live stream. We are using Zoom. So we are actually, you know, checking in with those kids like they join. We see their instruments. They're engaged in the chat and or they unmute my sixth graders kids who have been joining through Zoom have been really great about if I ask, you know, if we go around the room, I say, all right, unmute your mic and they play and they play for the class because it comes through the speakers. So we do have some engagement still with them. It's not like they're watching a YouTube live stream where where we're not getting any back and forth. John, can you talk a little bit about the precautions that we are taking as far as aerosols, et cetera, for the kids who are in person? So starting last October, really, I started putting together our document, like our procedures for what we were going to do when the time came for in-person. That's mostly based off the research that's been published by the University of Colorado Boulder. They've been tracking aerosol transmission through performing arts, so specifically through wind instruments, through singing. So um, kind of keeping all that and making our Shelburne-specific guidelines for what we want people to have. So the brief rundown there would be every student has their regular face mask, their band mask, which is for everyone except flutes and percussion, a generally surgical mask, but any mask is fine with a small slit for their mouthpiece, a bell cover for everybody, again, except for flutes and percussion that kind of makes up the rest of their mask that's missing. We have not, we don't require them to buy one. Like for trombones, that can be a beanie over the bell. Trumpets, a sock works great. Clarinets, a smaller sock works great. Actually, Charlie can speak more about clarinet testing on low Bs and such. And then brass players having a washcloth as well. Our room, you know, we've got, we marked off all of our chairs with tape. Actually, this is something that has been working really well. We put a piece of tape for both of the front two legs of their chairs. So that way, not only they have their spot, but like the angle. They set up a room so we have enough space for all the instruments that way. Got rid of our binder racks. So students either, they're carrying backpacks this year, which they've never been allowed to do before. So they either keep like their binder in their backpack or keep their binder with their instruments so they're not congregating in two places. I don't know. I'd be comfortable sharing the document that we've made if there's a good way to do that. Yeah, we can definitely link it in the show notes so people can see what we put out. Let's talk a little bit about the kids' experiences so far with with those accommodations. I'll go first. So as far as I'll just speak on woodwinds primarily. So as far as the masks go, not really a big deal for clarinets or saxophones. Just, you know, it takes them longer to like find where the hole is to get the mouthpiece in. And I found that like the first couple days we were in person, I'm used to just going from thing to thing to thing to thing. And I was like, oh, wait, I have to give them time to switch from their regular mask to their mask with the slit cut in it. So I've had to like consciously build that into my internal pacing. But for clarinets and saxophones, not not a big deal of just sticking, sticking that in there. I will say on the clarinet, 
I, you know, I put a cover on my clarinet and I've experimented with both like a tight piece of fabric and I've experimented putting a surgical mask on the bell of the clarinet with a rubber band. And I noticed that low E sounded stuffy, but it still worked. But when you hit the register key to go to B, my B would like literally would not come out at all. Like no sound would come out or it was like kind of a weird squeal. And that was a little disheartening because we, we play that note a lot in seventh and eighth grade. So what I found out is that if you take a sock and put it on the bell, if the sock is like tight against the bell, you'll have the same problem. But if you let the sock droop down a couple inches, then it works fine. And, and you can't tell the difference sonically. And it's, it's still catching all the air that comes out. Now, I know some of our kids have purchased like the professional bell covers that are tight against the bell. So I, I don't know if those work any better, but I'm going to assume they probably don't. So when the time comes, I do have an extra bag full of socks now that I can just pass out for free to kind of help along with that. The only like big difficulty we've run into has been with flute. And I've been doing a lot of research on that today to try to fix that. It is, it is recommended that flutes wear a mask that is loose and then fit the flute head joint in the mask. I will say that I, I double checked on the University of Colorado Boulder study today just to double check what does the aerosol generation of flute look like. And according to their, their research from, from all the rounds of study, the flute without a mask and without a cover still produce less aerosols than the other instruments do with a mask and with a cover. So that's comforting to know, but you know, we would still like for the kids to wear masks like everybody else if possible. I just had the, the issue this week where I couldn't play anything lower than an F on my flute without it coming out. And I think Tim, you tried to do the same thing, right? Yeah, that was, that was really rough. And you could tell how frustrated our flute players are getting. Yeah. I was, we, we were trying to play the E flat scale and I, I couldn't get the E flat to come out at all. And then I pulled the mask down and did it and it worked fine. So I was like, okay, is there a way to make this work? So I did look online at some, some different videos today. There's like a French flute duo and I forget their name, but they have like kind of a tutorial on how they did it. And they basically made like attached rubber bands under the straps to make the straps longer. And that gave enough space between the mask and the head joint that their low range wasn't affected. Of course, that means you have rubber bands on your ears instead of the the cloth straps. But they said that seemed to work. So I'm going to experiment with... I got a couple of different ideas of how we can probably make that more comfortable than just rubber bands. But I'm into experimenting with that a little bit just to kind of make that a little bit easier on them. All right. John, how about, how about brass? I think as far as the playing goes... This has been working fine. I mean, it mutes it a little bit. It's a slightly different timbre, but I, for brass, it's been working fine. The challenge has been in my teaching, figuring out, you know, usually I ask a lot of questions in between things, but moving towards more like, give me a thumbs up if, give me a thumbs down if, instead of what position is this in? And they have to, or show me what this is in, that works. But so adjusting my verbiage and getting used to having to ask those kinds of questions where they can respond without having to like put a regular mask on to talk and then take it back off. Yeah. But no, for, for brass, that system's been working. We have had to practice like getting the mouthpiece set then because some of them will come in with a really tiny slit and their, their tuba mouthpiece will not fit. So we have to cut it out a little bit wider, but not as many issues. Like I've had, I've been trouble, having trouble with, uh, I've been playing tenor sax a lot because woodwinds are my weakness. I've been trying to get better at that. Anything with all of the keys down, like when you get down to low range, has been tough, but brass, I'm not finding any notes that like aren't working with a bell cover. That's all been fine. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what it was like the first couple of days this week. So Tuesday and Wednesday were essentially our third first day of school <laughs> for the, for this year. We have 8A BDA kids. So half of them had their first day of school Tuesday and the other half had their first day of school Wednesday. And both of you guys were there. So uh, I'll start with Tim. Tim, what, what was your reflections on the kids coming into the building, having school for the first time in 10 months in person? What was kind of your observations from that experience? I think I was pleased with their behavior as like a, as a middle school population being entrusted with, you know, making safe decisions in there. As I haven't had a student yet give me a problem about their mask. They all understand. They don't, you know, talk back about it which was, was great because you go into any grocery store in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and, you know, keep a 15 foot radius for, for the, for the adults. So, I mean, for, for middle school, I was really impressed. And you, you had mentioned before the students came in that you thought we were going to have a lot of like anxiety within some of the students about being around people again and trying to get them comfortable in the space. 
And I think we did a, a pretty good job there. For example, telling sixth graders their first day in the building, don't bring your instruments. Don't worry about it. You have to figure out how to navigate the school. You have to learn who your teachers are. You have to, you know, do all the normal first day of sixth grade things. And then with our with our seventh and eighth graders getting to play again and bringing that sense of normalcy back for them. So I, I enjoyed offering that space for those students and seeing that they were willing to listen and they were willing to be patient. And then as as teachers, realizing that we can afford to take time to do things, we're always moving really fast from one thing to the next, but it takes them a second to move their band mask. And that's that's okay. We're not in a rush necessarily to to have a super productive run of this piece or of this warm up or, you know, take your time and get situated. We're going to do this safely and you're going to be comfortable in space learning in person. So I appreciated that for sure. I think many thoughts, I'll keep them short. We knew that they were going to be very timid when they came back. I knew that the even regular amount of social skills to expect from middle school student would be lower after having spent 10 months by themselves. But on both of these fronts, I was still surprised at how timid and how awkward (laughs) these poor darling children are. And so it's just taken a lot of, let's try that again, and we'll breathe in a little deeper this time. And they've been responding to it. I mean, the difference between day one and day two has been outstanding. Mm -hmm. So I'm not worried about going forward from there. But, oh gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Just a lot of relearning. A lot of relearning like ensemble skills, even the kids who have been really working hard and going for our all district auditions and such and have got all these mechanical skills in a really good place. still haven't generally have been having opportunities to do to, you know, play with another person and breathe together, articulate together, which is like all my favorite things about band is that it's not just about how well you do by yourself. And so that's been that's been a, a bright side of coming back and getting to work on that ensemble aspect instead of just the individual but man the awkwardness we knew it was coming but <laughs> yeah it's it real it's crazy like several students like were just visibly trembling the entire class and just you know for probably some excitement probably some nervousness you know one of the things that we talked about before they came back in person is you know that we've essentially had a peer pressure free environment for the last 10 months you know i mean most of our older kids have had their videos off and they've they've essentially had no worries or concerns about what the other kids in the class were going to think of them because they could neither hear nor see the other people in the class. And all of a sudden that just came like crashing back down of like, oh, there's other people and they might be watching me, you know, and to see kids just like literally, literally shaking in their seat trying to play their instrument. You know, I, I had one of one of our eighth grade clarinet students He's a very good player. She made a lot of mistakes day one. And I knew it was because of nerves because I've heard her play that stuff like a hundred times. And like, she sent me like an apology email, like after class was over, just like saying, Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I wasn't good. Like I'll work better next time. And I'm like, Hey, this is fine. Like it's a big day for all of us. You know, it's a big week for all of us. I'm like, I'm fine with mistakes. Just take your instrument home, practice more, come back. You'll be totally fine. Yeah. The throughout the only playing we've been doing these, this first week has been, like our, our fundamentals has been like Remington's long tones scales next week. We're diving into concert music and I cannot wait to not just do fundamentals, but, <laughs> but for this first week of like adding in the being in person and the routines and all that, we, we've been sticking with, with just those basics. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about us expecting Tibbiness and some of that, that I should have foreseen, but I didn't really think about until this week is the way that the instrumentation breaks down. Man, that makes it tough for some kids. For example, if you have a class, it's normally 40 people. Well, half of them are virtual. So now you got 20 people. But they're A day, B day. So you would think 10 would come on the A day and 10 would come on the B day. And that's not how it's split up. We've got some classes with like two kids and we've got some other classes with like 16 kids. You know, and it's it's very not even breakdown numbers wise for, for us. But it's also a very weird breakdown with the instrumentation. So, I mean, we have a class where it's like all clarinets and one saxophone or, you know, another class that might have one clarinet and like a bunch of other instruments. And that clarinet player is used to being in a giant section of clarinets, but now it's just them. So like, not only is there the timidness of peer pressure and coming back to school for the first time, but also, oh man, I'm the only one that plays my instrument in this room. Everyone's going to hear every mistake that I make. 
you know, and, and that's something like we're going to have to coach them through and get them more confident with like confident playing and being okay with hearing themselves. Plus not to mention the kids are six feet apart, you know, and that's like, I imagine a similar effect to when kids are in marching band for the first time playing outdoors. It just, it sounds very different. It sounds very exposed because you don't hear all that reverberation and all that sound around you like you do inside. And our kids being six feet apart, you know, they hear a lot of themselves, <laughs> a whole lot of themselves versus what they would normally be hearing. And like, normally our, our band room is just crammed like chair to chair to chair. So it's, it's very, very different experience for them as well. So yeah, we just did fundamentals this week because we're like, you know what? We need to just have them play something that they're the most comfortable with and that they are going to be able to, to not worry so much about notes and rhythms and just worry about getting back into the groove of things. Yeah, I will throw out, I know there are, are folks who usually, they're on a regular year, would have classes that, like, one of the classes when I was student teaching was one flute, two horns, two trombones, and two snare drums. That was banned. And so, you know, that mad respect to those of you who are, who are doing that and making that work really well. I know that has been a learning curve for us from what we're used to and from our students who are used to, you know, being one clarinet in a sea of 32 versus being one clarinet and then that's it. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, our, you know, one of our seventh grade classes has a pretty large number of virtual kids that we're streaming to, but all of the percussionists are virtual. And there's none in the room. And I just kind of like had this small like duh moment in class yesterday. I was like, oh, I should probably be playing the snare drum right now so they can hear it over the microphone. So because the snare drum part is different than the band parts for all of our fundamentals. And I was like, if they don't hear a snare drum, yeah, that's going to be very tough for them, especially if the band's playing like whole notes and then the snare drums have like a 16th note thing. Like it'd be very useful for them to actually hear somebody doing it. So I like went back on the snare drum and played during class. So all that would go through the microphone to all the percussionists at home. So yeah, we're making some adjustments. Let's talk a little bit about sixth grade because that was the, the part I was the most excited about this week because our sixth graders have never played with anybody else. And let's just take a minute to, to think about how crazy that is, right? Like we're in January and our sixth graders have never played with another human. They've only played in their room by themselves, which is kind of like kind of mind blowing to think about. So this week is like, man, this, this is so many firsts for them. Like we really do have to treat it like we're back at the beginning of school again. Like we, we trained them. We took a whole lesson and trained them like on posture. Like here's how you sit properly in a band chair, because a lot of them have been like laying on, not laying, but like sitting on their bed, you know, cause that's the only place they had to practice in their house, like sitting in a bed or they didn't have music stands, most of them. So their music is like down on a table and they're like leaning over to, to read it. And like so many weird habits. And it's like, oh, okay, well let's learn how to use a music stand. Let's learn how to adjust the music stand to the right height. Let's learn about good posture. And I, I mean, my entire first day was like that. Let's go find out where your band locker is. So when you bring your instrument in on day two, you know where you're going. And I'm not flooded with a bunch of kids in the morning that, that don't know where to put their stuff. I mean, it really was like treating it like the beginning of the year. And, and then Thursday and Friday, we had, we had them with the instruments and, and actually had them play in person for the first time. So how did that go for you guys in uh, Brassland? I thought that it went pretty well. The first day you could see that they were a little shell-shocked in, you know, being in middle school for the first time. But as far as being in the room, you could definitely, when we got our instruments out, feel kind of the tension around, I'm putting my horn together and the kid next to me is putting their horn together and I've never played it with anyone. I hope that I sound okay kind of thing. And we, we went around the around the room and, you know, play your C for us. I'll start and then I'll point to you and you'll go in a circle kind of thing. Help to break the ice on that because I think they heard, you know, we're all roughly in the same place here. And I think we did a pretty good job of letting them know that it was a learning space too. I think it helps when I'm in the back cracking every partial along with them. No, but I definitely enjoyed that. And then fixing some of the the quirks that we didn't see on video before. So you can, you can catch a lot of stuff on video, but like they didn't know how to put their horns down. They didn't know what rest position was. They didn't know, you know, just, just some of those smaller details. So going over that with them in person, getting to hear them play and then fixing them instantly was really satisfying. And then, of course, checking in with the virtual kids who also seem to kind of enjoy hearing other people in the room. And, of course, if you get one of the Zoom kids on the 
smart board and the rest of the kids can see them in class. It's like the funniest thing ever to them. So it felt a little more like a classroom community. Yeah, it's been an exercise in figuring out like what are the things that I've taken for granted and like trying to be proactive about that. But I had this realization as the kids came into the room on the first day, we taught them like, we're going to start a class by clapping. You'll clap back to us. But then I realized the trombones have no idea how to hold their instrument and also clap. And so we had to, you know, be like, wait, wait, wait. All right. Before we can start class, here's how you set your trombone down. You know, don't stand it up on your chair, put it down like this. And yeah, I think the, one of the most gratifying parts was I've had one student who always wants to play E on trumpet, two, three. And I tell her, you know, it's, it's one and two. Okay, push down two, three. So the other day I got to just walk over and push down first and second valve. And I'm like, oh, it was so great. Oh my God, I've been waiting for that for months. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So for the woodwind classes and percussion, we just played one note and it's like, it was so great. It's like, man, we can talk about what it's like to like match volume with somebody. We can talk about what it's like to match your tuning with somebody. You know, we can talk about what it's like to balance. You know, we have five saxophones and four clarinets. How do, how do we balance that? You know, like there's all these things that they've, they've not been able to work on at all. And like these basic ensemble skills, of like how do I fit into a group? And we were able to like give them a pretty solid introduction to those concepts just playing one note, you know, and at, at the same time, something else has been difficult online is it's really hard to determine what their tone really sounds like through a crappy Chromebook microphone. So having them in person, a lot of the kids sounded very different in person than they do over Zoom. And we got to fix a lot of like basic tone issues. And some of the kids came in with amazing tone. And I was just like, wow, that's, that's yeah, that's perfect. Yep. Just keep doing that. That sounds awesome. So it was, it was, yeah, it was just really cool to to be like, man, this is what it's like to play in a group, guys. Like, like this is so fun. And even though we only played one note all of class, you know, like like the same note several times, the kids just they loved it. They had a blast. They were just they were having a lot of fun. Oh, you said it earlier, but they have never, you know, done this before. They don't know what band is. So to them, what they've already been doing is band. And if they stuck around this long, then you know, coming in person and doing it this way is also super, super exciting to them. So see, seeing that satisfaction in them and seeing, you know, they were genuinely excited to to be in that room for the first time and to get to taste band in a in-person setting was really cool. One thing I forgot is that I have a class that is trombones and tuba and horn. And so for those kids, having not just their sound is really screwing with their ability to like find the right partial and we're going to get past that here in the next couple of weeks i know but yeah having that really low and then also a high sound and then trying to find their sound somewhere in the middle that has not been something that they've learned to do yet so like you know they can tell me what position and what fingering the notes are but finding it with other sounds in the room that's 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 another skill that i took for granted that they were going to have when they came in yeah yeah I, the first thing i did before i had clarinets and saxophones play is i did a recheck for everybody and much to my surprise Every kid except one had a pristine, beautiful looking reed that was the right brand and the right hardness. And like, well, so I had two, I had two issues. One kid had some like really weird Chinese knockoff reeds. So I just, I just gave him a bunch of mine. I'm like, Hey, here's a bunch of new Van Doren reeds. Here's some twos. Here's some two and a half. So I want you to try both of them. And then next time you go buy a box, get, get one of these. And then I had another kid on saxophone who his reed looked like like a dog had chewed the tip of it, you know, off. And I'm like, hey, man, like, here's a new read. Here's your read. You see how much shorter your read is than a new read? It's like, that means it's like 18 times harder for you to play right now than if you just had a new read. And he had like a whole box of reads in his case. He was just like, yeah, like it's still making sound. So like, I just kept using it. <laughs> so we swapped that out. Or other things, you know, I had a, a, a girl on clarinet who was playing like 50 cents flat compared to everybody else. And I was like, man, what is going on? So went around and it just turned out that her ligature was on wrong. So it's like, oh, okay, well, like, this is how it's supposed to go. And then after that, it was fine. And she sounded great. Uh, so that was really cool. Yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun. It was so fun. Something I, I anticipated, but there's nothing you could do about it, is like, I lost my voice like every day. <laughs> yeah, just a lot of talking. A lot more talking than we're used to. And I came home and I crashed like pretty much every day. Because it's just a lot of stimulation for us, too. You know, a lot more than we have been used to. But it was so fun. There's a lot of things I'm looking forward to this semester of finally being able to, to dig into. Yeah. 
So looking forward, looking ahead, what are some things that you guys are looking forward to for the rest of the semester? Have you got a spot in here to, to I don't know, because I don't think we've actually done it. I was just realizing, like explaining exactly how we're doing things like concert wise and stuff this semester. Oh, yeah, that's probably something we should talk about. Yeah, last semester, we did a virtual winter concert, sixth, seventh and eighth grade. Each grade played a couple pieces. And yeah, so we had them record that through Flipgrid and, you know, we put them all together in a big virtual concert. We didn't like, quote, live stream it, but we did a YouTube premiere. So we uploaded it ahead of time. And then we told all the kids and the parents, hey, log in, click this link at seven o'clock and we're going to like watch the virtual concert together. And that was really fun because they had the live chat going next to the video and the kids were like bantering back and forth, play by play. That was that was really fun. But that was that was last semester. This semester, we don't quite know what we're going to be able to do. John, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, like our, our default is assuming that we are in a similar boat that we are now. We're going to be learning our music in class with our live stream students and our in-person students. But our performances will still be record your part at home with the backing track. And we're going to mash those all together and do another live stream. One perk that I will plug with this that we didn't really think about last semester is there's a a small but growing collection of rep that is meant to be like performed with a backing track, like performed live. And I've seen these pieces performed back in back in the olden times and concerts where multiple people in the same rooms. And, you know, that's that's a really challenging thing to do with the full band because you're not only staying together, but you're staying at that perfect 120 beats or, or whatever it is with your backing track. So one thing we're looking at is we've picked out a piece and sometimes a few pieces for each grade that since we're likely going to be recording for at least one concert with a backing track, now's a great time to program that music. They're already going to be playing with the click track and the headphones. And so going that way and experimenting with being able to play with electronic backing tracks and other sounds that they normally wouldn't have as a part of their concert pieces, this is maybe the easiest time to do some of those things. So we've got that. We'll, you know, Charlie is now a pro at, at video editing students all together and uh, accommodating for the ways that Flipgrid sometimes makes the video 0.25% faster or slower. But if we can, if our pandemic climate changes in our area and we have a large percentage of our population get vaccinated, we could be looking at outdoor concerts when the weather warms up in the spring. We could look at small and physically spaced out concerts for like a grade at a time in our fortunately large high school's auditorium. So we don't know. Our default is that we'll learn things together, record at home, put them together. But, you know, if if we're able to, we'll do more of these other things and as weather warms up. So we'll see. We don't know. Yeah. Something else that's been, I think, really great to come out of the pandemic is tons of composers and publishers have put out music for FlexBand or adapted their compositions that were already popular and adapted FlexBand arrangements. And I think this is going to be so great for programs that are traditionally small and programs that always have weird instrumentation issues. Like I know for a lot of those, uh, you know, those programs, it's very difficult to find reps to play on a concert. You know, when you have a band of like 17 kids and like not a balanced instrumentation at all to like have those flex band arrangements is going to be so great to have that huge body that they can now pull from for concerts. And I think it's just going to be so great for those smaller bands out there which is going to be more than there used to be for the next couple of years, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Speaking, speaking of numbers, you know, we were looking at our numbers. You know, out of our, our school, we have a total school population of 600. So about 200 kids per grade level. Our, our typical band floats somewhere between 220 and 250, depending on the year. And I think this year we're down to 150, which hurts a little bit, you know? Like, I feel, I feel that right here a little bit. But I know this is something that everyone's going through. And I know I, it's just crazy seeing band director after band director post online, you know, like get, like getting really down and thinking that it's them, but it's it's not it's not you. Like it's this is happening nationwide for a variety of reasons, and not just because band isn't as fun virtually. Like there's a lot of kids going through financial hardships right now. It's just looking at our town, like the number of businesses that were shut down and for how long they were shut down for was just crazy. And we have mostly small businesses in Stanton, so that hit a lot of our families pretty hard. We've had kids, like I said, that have lost family members. We've had kids go through unprecedented amounts of depression. We've had families get separated due to stressors related to, you know, economics and, and that, those sorts of things. 
We've had a lot of kids like move back and forth different places. We've just had just so many outside things that have affected enrollment. And I think, you know, the entire band community is going to be rebuilding for quite some time. And it's probably going to take us a good seven years or so after this is all over to like really kind of get back to where we were. But there's definitely there's definitely a road ahead of us for sure. But I think two things that are going to be very important for all of us to keep in mind is one, recruitment. You know, recruit, 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 recruit. You know, in the mighty words of Scott Allred, always be recruiting, never not be recruiting. That's going to be very crucial, especially as we start to return to normalcy. But number two, I think advocacy is going to be huge, like making sure that whatever your program is doing, that the community knows about it, that it's very, you know, that it's visible. It has some sort of online presence, perhaps, you know, like all of our virtual pieces we've we've done our virtual recordings. We have invited the school board to listen to it. I sent it to the newspaper and the newspaper were like, oh, cool. And then they published, we, we were in the newspaper twice this semester, you know, just because we reached out and we're like, hey, this is this cool thing we're doing. And they're like, all right, we'll do a story on it. You know, so there's like, there's all kinds of ways that people can advocate for their program. And all of that will help rebuild over time for sure. But we definitely, definitely have a, a little bit of a road ahead as far as that goes, you know, and, and you know, I hate to say it, but you know, like the larger programs are going to recover faster. You know, they just they just will. I think the smaller programs are going to have a harder time, but I don't want anyone to feel down about that because once again, it's a freaking pandemic that has not happened in 100 years, you know? So I, I don't think anyone should be evaluating their self-worth based on how many kids are in their program right now. Let's just keep kids loving music and keep building relationships with kids. And, you know, their skills will come back eventually. We'll all adapt over time. And, uh, you know, not to get too much on, on a prolonged soapbox here, but I think now more than ever, we need to support each other to be regularly talking with other members of our profession and getting to decompress or share ideas. And, you know, John and I have have just an unbelievably good situation that we always have each other. <laughs> you know, there's always someone to talk to. There's always someone to bounce ideas off of, like in the same room. But most band directors in Virginia are not in a co-teaching situation. So finding a group of band directors you can you can talk to, I think it's going to be really crucial in the coming years as we all start to rebuild our programs. Well, we've talked about, I think, pretty much everything that I set out for us to to touch base on. Do you guys have anything else come to mind or anything you think we missed or would like to throw out there for the good of the cause? Uh, get your vaccine. <laughs> yes. As soon as I can get that thing, it's getting in my veins. You know, well, what's crazy is like, it, you know, my wife works at a, a winery part time and she was able to get one already. She's already been vaccinated, you know, and I'm actively teaching in school and we still can't get them yet. <laughs> Caroline's getting hers. My fiance is, is getting hers. We teach in different school districts, but she got a date. So, yeah, that's, you know, I don't know a lot about how the, the logistics of the, the vaccine rollout have been handled. Someone told me that nearly every teacher in Fairfax County has now been vaccinated. And a lot of teachers in the Harrisonburg, Rockingham area either have had it or already have it scheduled. And unfortunately, in our area, I've, I've heard nothing. They sent out a survey saying who wants one. So I responded to that, but we haven't been scheduled or anything. So hopefully that comes out soon. As as the father of a nine year old or nine month old, sorry, not nine yes. yet. Woo! He grew up That's real fast. fast. <laughs> yeah, as a, the father of a nine month old, like I, I, you know, I just want to be an overly abundance of caution. You know, he hasn't been sick yet, and I don't want that to be his first one, for sure. Tim, you have any final parting words for everybody? I think just thank you to whatever teachers need to hear it, especially for those taking on student teachers. That's hard enough in a normal semester. So adding, you know, another another hurdle in there is much appreciated because we want to be teachers too, just like all of you. And we got to do this semester somehow. So thank you to, to all of you, like Mr. Wilson, taking one for the team, especially your first, like, holy moly. It, it's easy when, you, when you're rocking it, you know, so. Yeah, specifically all I got to say, thank you to all the teachers. It's a crazy year and you're heroes, truly, for sticking it out, so from my generation of incoming teachers and all the students after, you know, sincerely thank you to everyone listening and to both of you, because I promise you it's, it's doing big things for, for a lot of people. Thanks, man. And I'll throw out a big thanks to John for being my, my co-teacher and partner in crime over there. There's, there's been so many things that have changed this year 
like constantly changing. Every couple of weeks, our whole world gets thrown upside down by some huge, massive change. And having two people to deal with all of those changes and talk things out and plan through them, it's just, I don't want to take that for granted. You know, it's been so long since I haven't been a co-teacher now. It's been nine nine years since I've I've been a solo band director. And I don't want to forget how much of a blessing that really, really is. And it's really great to be paired with somebody who works really hard. I've not always been in a co-teaching situation where I felt like both people wanted to put in work into the program. And it's really nice that that you're able to just come out of the gate first year teaching, you know, four years ago, just like just steamrolling everything. It's been it's been really fun and really like nourishing as an educator to to be in a partnership like that. Oh, man, this, I'm, I'm like seeing myself physically blush in my in my Zoom window here. Man, that, <laughs> thank you. No, man, it's been getting to spend like the first four years with someone who works as hard as you do. I think I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's, it's a blessing to me, too been a crazy year but it's been a good one still which yeah. is you know and there's there's great years ahead too so well thank you guys both for coming up on the program hopefully i'd love to you know record another one again when we can all decompress after what it's like to do this for a couple months before you leave us there tim i'd love to just kind of update everyone on like how how's it been going after actual in-person instruction for a couple months all yeah right. absolutely thank you for having me yeah absolutely all right, you guys have a, a great rest of your weekend, and uh, I look forward to Monday. See you all here soon. Thanks, See Charlie. See you guys. Thanks for joining us on the Flying Baton. Remember, may your tone be dark and your humor light. <laughs>